Okay. Okay. Thank you for joining us for Let's Talk, a teleconference on issues of interest to advanced practice nurses. This month we will be discussing findings from the NSO Nurse Practitioner Liability Update with Jennifer Flynn, Project Manager, Manager, Health Risk Assessment, Risk Management, NSO, who will discuss advanced practice malpractice. Our discussion with Jennifer will focus on the analysis of the most frequent and severe professional liability allegations against nurse practitioners over a five-year period from 2007 to 2011. Joining Jennifer is David Griffiths. David is Senior Vice President of Aon, AON Affinities Healthcare Division. He is responsible for program management of the Nursing Services Organization, NSO, and Healthcare Providers Service Organization, HPSO programs. NSO and HPSO help protect over 1 million healthcare professionals and practices nationwide. David also oversees marketing for both programming and risk management for the division. Prior to joining AON, David held business development and marketing roles for several Fortune 500 companies. David is a licensed property and casualty agent. He holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Maryland and an MBA from Moravian College. Thank you, David, and thank you, Jennifer, for joining us. Before we start, please take a moment to take our survey, which will allow us to better service your needs. This is a new survey, which is online, and it looks at new roles that are rising out of the PPACA for advanced practice and registered nurses. The survey may be found on the Carson Company Facebook page, www.carsonco.net, and at HTTPS www.surveymonkey.com. For more information or to listen to this teleconference or past teleconferences, sign up for the series. Join us at www.carsonco.net, at LinkedIn, Carson Company LLC, Facebook, Carson Company LLC, Blog Talk Radio, or iTunes. We are continually working to approve our format and approach the sharing of information about advanced practice. We are rolling out new products this season, and we are asking that you join us. David and Jennifer, if you can hit star five, I mean star six and unmute, uh, we can get started. Okay, can you hear us? I can hear you all. Fantastic. Okay. So, um, so Wendy, you had provided us with a couple of questions to uh, go through before we mm -hmm. started uh, presentation. So we'll uh, go through them quickly. Yeah. And uh, so, really, the uh, the uh, the first question is certainly uh, how did we uh, find our way to NSO? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> from my from my perspective, I've been with the company for nearly eight years. 
I'm always in the healthcare arena. I'm not a healthcare professional, nor do I consider myself an insurance guy. Um, I really, uh, I would say probably um, through my uh, through my um, career, um, what has led me up to this is uh, in kind of where I find the fascination in all this. Sort of stems from when I first started here at uh, NSO. My uh, my mother was uh, diagnosed with uh, cancer and. Uh, and went, uh, had surgery, um, and then uh, actually got better, but then ended up getting worse. Uh, she was in the hospital for about six weeks, um, which was diagnosed as a, a uh, extreme case of, um, of uh, a, uh, a reaction to uh, the medicines that she was on. And uh, so uh, during that time, I really uh, gained an appreciation for all the medical um, personnel and assistance that she uh, that she had, and uh, in being there, you know, mornings, days, and nights, um, it really was a uh, eye opener for me for all the things that uh, healthcare does. So it became more than just selling malpractice insurance, so to speak. Well, Jennifer, how did you get involved with NSO? Uh. You know, having a, um, uh, as I was going through schooling and all of the um, jobs that I had before coming to NSO all revolved around the healthcare industry. Um, I was always interested in doing something in healthcare, um, uh, but what brought me here to NSO was taking the background that I had learned from those various positions along with my interest in, um, you know, marketing as well to, well, I'll combine the two um, in this position with uh, NSO um, where I now take the information with our risk management and um, apply those uh, areas where we see top areas of concern for nurse practitioners um, along with those risk strategies and am able to um, promote that to our nurse practitioners um, for their benefit and the, pa and the benefit of their patients. Well, we are going to talk about the wonderful malpractice study that's been done by NSO, but I want you to take a moment and share some information about all the other different types of products that uh, NSO provides to nurses like the case studies and, and some of the educational tools, because I truly find them fascinating. Yes. Um, available on our website um, to all of our, uh, all the healthcare community is, um, we have a risk management tab, which uh, lists down all of the resources we have for our um, practitioners, which includes um, not only an electronic version of our liability report, but also uh, newsletters, articles, um, legal case studies. The legal case studies are a very popular resource. They um, provide the practitioner uh, details of an actual case along with um, what our experts would, said about the case um, and some risk management recommendations for the practitioner to, um, you know, help mitigate those risks. Um, they're all available in a downloadable PDF format, um, so it's, 
it's great reading. It's um, definitely making practitioners aware of some of the risks that one of their colleagues face. Um, in addition to the legal case studies, we also have a video on how to prepare for a deposition, um, along with even a risk management template in which uh, healthcare businesses or practitioners can um, uh, take the steps to make a risk management plan in their practice. So all, all uh, resources, um, making practitioners aware and helping them with those uh, steps to mitigate those risks. When and why did NSO decide to develop the structure for the study? How did they come up with the format and the approach for the malpractice claim study? Sure. So actually, the uh, NSO has a uh, an advisory board of nurses and nurse practitioners uh, who uh, across the country, there's uh, about 10 of them, and uh, they cover uh, everything from education to legal to uh, clinicians. And we meet with them um, and discuss what are the, uh, the things that NSO should be doing, what's going on in the industry, uh, so that we could stay on top of things. About, mm, about a decade ago, one of the nurse, uh, the nurses was actually um, uh, going for her uh, PhD, and uh, for her PhD, she asked if she could start to find out this information from our uh, insurance from our car insurance carrier. So, what started off as a, uh, a PhD uh, thesis um, actually has become a uh, uh, now ten years. We probably have uh, close to seven. Uh, claim reports covering nurses, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, uh, counselors will be coming out next year, uh, and most recently, pharmacists. Okay. Um, I want to remind our audience that there are three components to the study. Part one is the nurse practitioner professional liability exposures. Part two is NSO analysis of license protection paid, paid claims. And part three is NSO 2012 Qualitative Nurse Practitioner Work Profile Survey. Uh, what are the similarities and differences in the different components of the study? How are they different, and how do they complement each other? Yeah, so the, um, the claim report is divided into three parts. Um, part one is the uh, professional liability exposures um, but for nurse practitioners over a five-year period, 2007 to 2011. And this information comes directly from our CNA claim files. It um, outlines those top areas of loss, top allegations, uh, the location where the loss occurred, the injury that befell the patient. Um, and we looked at those, uh, that information to make practitioners aware of the risks that they face um, in malpractice lawsuits. Part two is the um, analysis of license protection defense claims. Um, these are claims over the same five-year period, but it's claims made against or complaints made against um, a nurse practitioner's license to their state board. Um, these claims differ from malpractice lawsuit actions in that um, licensure actions are, have more to do with a nurse's or nurse practitioner's professional conduct. 
And so um, this part of the report looks at, um, again, uh, by location, by specialty, where, where, and by allegation, what board complaints um, we see come through, along with um, the outcomes that we see. Uh, uh, if there was a nurse practitioner who had to surrender their license or if they were closed with no action. This part of the report examines um, those claims. And the third part is the nurse practitioner work profile survey. Um, because we have some limitations in the claim file, uh, we complemented the study with a survey trying to get to those questions we were asked most frequently um, at conferences and by our nurse practitioners. For an example, um, we would uh, give claim information about um, nurse practitioners and we would get asked, well, that's great, but at the time of the incident, you know, how long had the nurse practitioner been practicing or what was that nurse practitioner's level of education? And um, we didn't have that information consistently in the claims file, and so we asked these a series of questions to our nurse practitioners to try and get to those answers. Um, this part of the report is qualitative, and so um, it's meant to complement the uh, Part 1 study findings. Wonderful. And now, is this an ongoing study, or will NSO develop derivations of the study related to nursing in the future? I heard David discuss some other related professional malpractice studies, but I wanted to know what else you might be doing with the data related to nurses and nurse practitioners in 2014 and 2015. So this is actually the, the third uh, update to our claim report for nurse practitioners. The original was in 2003, um, then in 2009, and now again in 2012. Um, essentially, we probably won't do this for another several years because we want to collect uh, essentially about five years of data uh, before we would want to do the analysis again. So if you think about it from a time perspective, 2012 being the start of the next five-year um, time frame. So we probably won't come out with this for, for a number of years again. Okay. And then to my audience, if you would like to look at Jennifer's slide deck, please feel free to go up to www.carsonco.net. They're up there. I think I mentioned it to you all twice in my emails earlier. But you can go up there and look at them or just pull them down as we discuss the uh, study. In part one, you uh, focus on nurse practitioners and closed claims for nurse practitioners. How do you find nurse practitioners for the study? Do you use uh, an insurance company definition? you use a statutory definition of nurse practitioner practice, or do you have your own definition? If so, so when we, what's that definition? So when we look at the advanced practice uh, nurse world, we, we view it as there's four um, segments. There is the uh, nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, nurse anesthetist, and nurse midwife. For the purposes of this study, we are only limiting it to the one, which is nurse practitioner. Okay. So the other three, nurse, midwife, anesthetist, and clinical nurse specialist, 
are um, excluded from the study. Okay, do you do that because you do not have a statistically significant sample or because you started out down that road? Well, it's actually pretty it's, it's uh it's a little bit simpler. Um we do not uh offer coverage for okay. nurse midwives nor do we offer coverage for nurse anesthetists. Oh, so okay. those two so those two uh segments we don't offer coverage to. Um, so it, it really is limited to uh, clinical nurse specialists and nurse practitioners, of which we have about 27,000 nurse practitioners. So we have a, a good sample size to pull from. Okay. In the closed claim malpractice analysis, the most frequent allegation made against nurse practitioners involves failure to, to diagnose and delay in making a correct diagnosis. Has this allegation or these allegations remained constant over the different periods of time that NSO has conducted the study? You actually made us uh, do our homework for this question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In fact, when we went back through to um, our previous reports, um, looking at those top allegations, you know, for the 2012 report, we did make comparisons to previous reports where we could, um, and in and, and not all cases could we make those comparisons, but when we did go back and look for top allegations, we did find that um, allegations related to diagnosis were the um, most frequent claims we saw for nurse practitioners, and this is going back through through to our 2004 report, yes. Okay. The practice location where NPs are most likely to work, to work who have been sued are physician office practices, community-based outpatient clinics, and skilled nursing facilities. All places where, in, where NPs are likely to have a physician collaborator or supervisor. And in part three of the study, the largest percentage of NPs sued indicated they were practicing outside their scope because they were trained to do the procedure by their supervising procedure, I mean physician. Reading the entire study, all components, I get a sense that the most egregious claims are arising out of physician-supervised practices. Am I getting that correct? Is it true or is it um, more detailed than that? We did see um, when we went through the uh, a survey analysis that we did find a uh, an oddity um, or sort of I guess depending on what uh, perspective you're looking at from it, we uh, were surprised to see that if a nurse practitioner is mentored uh, by a physician that they were more likely to have a claim than a nurse practitioner who was mentored by a, another nurse practitioner. Oh, so, when we, so when we uh, first uh, announced that um, in some of our, our presentations, uh, it was actually uh, applauded uh, by, the, by the nurse practitioner group. Um, so I think there is definitely something there from the standpoint of if you have a physician who is operating under a different scope of practice, that there's going to be some challenges in what he or she is communicating to the nurse practitioner. Um, and I think there has to be an absolute understanding by the nurse practitioner of what their scope of practice is in relationship to the, uh, to the physician. Good. 
I also love the structure of your findings. Um, you presented concrete data which suggests specific deficiencies in advanced practice nurse curriculum. Uh, have you shared your findings with NP educational groups such as NOS, the nurse, the National Organization of Nurse Practitioner Faculty? Have they considered expanding, changing, or restructuring their curriculum to address some of these um, specific um, deficiencies? So I guess the short answer is that um, we have not um, been able to, uh, or at least we haven't spoken or presented at NOMF. So we are, uh, we, if, you have a, uh, if you have a contact, we would be happy to uh, go and present at their conference. Um, oh, at the we're very going to give you, that, yeah, when we get off, we'll give you somebody to talk to. <laughs> because, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because the combination of the studies and the risk assessment tools, you really drill down on where the deficiency arises. And I think that it would benefit and, and really enlighten um, um, the uh, nurse practitioner curriculum. Also, so, uh, with state mandates for NPs to um, take specific continuing education courses and or finish specific practicums related to prescribing, do you think or have boards of nurses started to use these findings to restructure those courses or to make recommendations for, for um, FDA or pharmaceutical company REMS related to nurse prescribing? The, the, uh, where we, we haven't had much, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say attention, but we haven't had much exposure uh, to really the boards of nursing. Um, where we have had a lot of um, questions and requests are really coming from the state uh, associations who are trying to um, leverage the data to try to um, change their uh, ability to practice, whether it's from a uh, under direct supervision to a collaborative or from a collaborative to a autonomous uh, state. So right now, as you probably know, most of the states in uh, the United States are in a collaborative setting where the, where the nurse practitioner has to have a, a collaborative agreement with a physician. But there's still a handful of states, primarily in the southeast, um, that are still under direct supervision, and, uh, and then a couple of uh, autonomous states. So we, we find um, the information most being asked and leveraged by the state associations. Now, do you think patient-centered outcomes, which are being structured in response to the mandates in the Affordable Care Act, will address some of the deficiencies causing the allegations in lawsuits? Do you believe patient-centered outcomes and nurse safety measures will decrease NP malpractice rates? I, I, we believe, uh, NSO believes that there is a good cause for the PPACA to actually increase the number of lawsuits that are going to be occurring. So here's our thinking, and Jen, feel free to chime in. So what I'm starting to hear uh, from nurse practitioners is that their facilities are um, asking, encouraging, I don't know if that's the right word, 
um, to see more patients. Uh, so if you think about it, if you're seeing a patient um, on average 18 minutes, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. and now you're being asked to cut that in half, um, yeah, no -no. then what's going to happen? We're going to you're going to see more um, misdiagnoses or failures to diagnose um, with the additional, depending on the, the numbers that you um, really look at, there's another, let's say, 37 million of uninsured plus another 50 million of underinsured uh, individuals who would gain access to health care at a greater level. And uh, so you're going to have more, um, a harder time to get in to see a, a, a primary care physician or a primary care provider. So you're going to see uh, delays in diagnosis as well. So, so what, we are, what what you're going to see is nurses having heavier patient loads without ancillary support. So we'll see not just the advanced practice, but what you're telling me is also uh, nursing professionals will also be uh, taxed. Great. That's what it sounds of that. like to me from what you're saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I, we do, we have grave concerns about um, those t that the failure to diagnose and delaying diagnose will become even a even greater portion of the claims. And when insurance looks at it, we look at it from two ways. We look at that severity, so how much is the uh, lawsuit, and frequency, how often. So we certainly feel as though frequent frequency will increase under this. Okay. And Wendy, I'll just add that we did ask a question in our survey um, related to the average time spent with a patient, and did that have any bearing on um, liability lawsuits? And what we found was that a uh, majority of nurse practitioners said that they were um, spending 16 to 20 minutes with their patients, and that, um, that group saw the um, lowest severity for malpractice claims as the amount of time spent with a patient was um, fewer minutes, the uh, financial impact of the malpractice claim went up. So um, when we look at it that way, we look at it to say it's an indicator for um, more severe claims the less amount of time a nurse practitioner is um, spending with their patients. Well, when I was doing this type of research, and I still do it sometimes, that 16 to 18-minute um, uh, review and time per period spent was the sweet spot for nurses in terms of being able to effectively see the patient as well as not see an upswing in malpractice rates. If you went higher, you saw less productivity, which made the um, practice a little crazy. And if you went lower, you saw an increase in malpractice rates. But that sick between 16 and 20 minutes was the sweet spot. Yeah, sounds about right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Please share with us how the inclusion criteria in this report differs from those of prior CNA NSO nurse practitioner claims analysis and claim studies from other organizations, and tell us us your how your organization chose to make this change? So one of the inclusion criteria that changed from the 2004 report um, was, and even the, the 2009 report was, for this report, uh, the newest one, we are only looking at closed 
claims. And by closed claims, I mean that the claim, the lawsuit has been um, closed, whether it was successfully won or that it went to trial and there was an indemnity payment. But there has been some conclusion on that. Um, the previous uh, analyses that we did were uh, included both closed as well as open claims. And sort of the challenge with the open claims is, is that you don't have the uh, sort of the answer at the end, whether the case was won or lost and how mm -hmm. much was picked out. So um, sort of uh, over time, we, we decided that to, to give a truest picture, uh, we wanted to limit it to just those claims, lawsuits that have been closed. Okay, Was now, if the removal of any claims resulting in an indemnity payment of 10000 or less, does that exclusion of those claims have significance in the study? Also, are the numbers of claims of that nature, the 10000 or less, statistically significant to change the trends as we see them presented in the current study? So um, we looked at claims that were um, above $10,000 um, because for two reasons. Um, one, we had more information on those claims in the claim file. Um, those claims tend to show more deviations from the standard of care. Um, we have uh, usually expert testimony attached to those claims and um, really uh, can look at those claims to know that um, any findings that come out of that are really going to be most beneficial to um, the nurse practitioner and those and their patients. Um, those claims that were below $10,000, um, while they're still um, important, as David had mentioned, these are the claims that um, may have had um, were successfully defended, the claim may have been dropped um, prior to going to trial. Um, I believe in the claim report we talk about um, the amount spent to defend those claims and it is um, upward of $9.2 million. Um, so there's still a significant amount of money spent to defend those claims um, and we consider that money well spent because um, we did see a more successful outcome for the nurse practitioner. Okay, also when you spend 10000 on an indemnity payment as opposed to 50000 you that makes a difference in the premium. You keep doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we started to see, um, our, our trending information is showing that we're having a, uh, a lift in the more severe claims. So when we compare the 2009 to 2012 analysis, we actually saw about a 20% increase in the average claim amount from $186,000 in 2009 to the average claim in 2012 study um, ending up being about $221,000. So when you add the, that plus the uh, the average cost to uh, to defend the legal expenses, you're talking about uh, about $280,000 uh, per claim um, to uh, for indemnity payment and as well as the uh, legal costs. 
Now, Wendy, having said that, though, we do get the question a lot, is $1 million coverage adequate for a nurse practitioner? And about 86% of our claims resolved for under $500,000. Um, so certainly that speaks to the coverage being adequate. And while we do have some cases that are um, more severe claims that are above $500,000, the, it's less of a percentage, but it does happen, so, and some claims resolve even at policy limits. Well, that's good. That is good. Um, I remember when the uh, first claims broke a million dollars for advanced practice nurses, and it was a lot of uh, concern about whether or not it would be enough. So it's good to hear that it is. Now, do you believe your aggressive claims management approach is the approach taken by other insurance companies that represent advanced practice nurses, especially when the nurse is covered by a company which provides insurance to both the nurse and to her physician employer? I, I believe that uh, each company um, has its own strategy. I We certainly have taken a, a very aggressive approach to uh, to defend, I do believe that um, other company, other carriers out there um, have different approaches. But uh, one of the things that um, we certainly feel um, uh, differentiates MSO, and I'll sort of get on my soapbox for a second here, is uh, is that we um, we've been with uh, working with the same insurance carrier for 20 some years now. And so we have built a uh, really a, a deep knowledge of working with uh, advanced practice nurses and defending them. Um, we recently have seen a couple of our competitors switch to uh, switch insurance carriers who, uh, in one case, has no experience in malpractice at all, um, let alone uh, defending nurse practitioners. So we uh, we certainly think that uh, that is a, a challenge for whoever, um, whatever nurse practitioner is going to be having a claim and having being defended by them. Also, um, to get on my little soapbox, too, about this, is that you also have been quite aggressive with your, um, your responses to uh, licensure claims as well, and you've utilized um, nurse attorneys in many instances to represent um, the uh, nurses, and that has led to a um, a comfort level that the nurse attorney who's working with the um, with the uh, uh, person is is knowledgeable of of the uh, scopes and strictures related to their practice, and um, they are equally as aggressive in their approach because um, they understand what they're go going up against. So I've heard a lot of nurse uh, attorneys uh, lower the work that you do in this area. We uh, and probably part of the reason why we are endorsed by uh, TANA, the uh, the Nurse mm -hmm. Attorney Association of America. Um, we certainly do believe that uh, you know the nurse attorney has the knowledge, uh, both from a health standpoint and then also from a legal standpoint. Um, whereas somebody, and I've heard this from uh, case and case again, where somebody who is a lawyer, you know, will take a case 
has no knowledge of how the, the boards work and is really uh, at, a, uh, at a loss in many ways. Um, whereas a nurse attorney um, knows, knows how, to, uh, how it works and is able to get a, uh, a really a, a, a positive resolution quicker than uh, anybody else. Yes. Now, and when you know, we okay, we also, all right. <laughs> Wendy, I was just going to add that we also hear sometimes the nurse practitioners don't realize that um, they might have a defense help them with the complaints made against their license, um, against their board. And, you know, the coverage is there for that reason because, um, you know, your license is your livelihood and while most cases are resolved with, with no action, there are those um, rare instances where uh, you might have to surrender or um, your license is revoked and that, you know, um, we see as a, a the beneficial part of the policy is to have that defense um, reimbursement. Also, when um, even though we're going to focus on malpractice claims, but when um, NSO takes on these types of cases, almost all of them are resolved in favor of the advanced practice nurse. For the license protection? Yeah, for the license protection. Yes. I think you yes. had an 80, 89% rate, I think is what I saw, something in that area, where Sounds they are resolved right. without losing your license. They're resolved either with a sanction or with a, 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 a temporary suspension. Right. Um, at 60%, almost 62% is closed, no action. Um, but uh, we, do, we do see either... Um, some get a fine or continuing education credit um, assigned to them, that's 6%. Um, and what we were talking about, 6% um, also saw a suspension in their license, mm -hmm. with 2.3% um, having their license revoked, and another 0.8% um, ended in sur license surrender. Yeah. And those are high rates when you compare to the overall rates of, of persons going before the boards of nursing for discipline. In your uh, claims appeal, you note that 4.5% of the closed claims involved nurse practitioners who were covered through a CNA-insured health business, such as a nurse practitioner office, um, practice. Do you believe that pre-selection may be occurring with physician offices favoring different insurance companies that provide both MD and MP liability coverage? Yeah, I, I don't believe so. I uh, I really think it's more of uh, the nature of where nurse practitioner nurse practitioners are in really being able to break out and open up their own practices. Um, so, you know, if you think about it, there are, let's say, 150,000-ish nurse practitioners in the United States. Um, we have about 27,000 of them. Um, I believe it's really more of a, a component of the fact that uh, nurse practitioners are just are, are continuing to gain momentum for, you know, hang, uh, starting their own practices up. So do I think that that number will increase over time? Yes. I do believe okay. so. And do you think that CNA, in, did C, 
DNA NSO conduct uh, further analysis, which might not be included in the report on states where the law requires the NP and or the MD collaborator to have liability coverage, or those states where they require the reporting of malpractice medical error by practitioners. Did you all do any additional analysis of, and pull out or tease out that data? We, we tried to go down that path, and we, what we ran into was the fact that the states are changing um, their, their statutes on whether it's direct supervision, collaborative, or autonomous, and then when did the incident occur, um, as well as the claim. So there's a lot of, um, uh, and to think about, you know, for each claim, for each state, to understand the exact timing of all three, um, it, it just became a, uh, a project that became uh, overwhelming, quite frankly. So we, we started to try and go down that path to really be able to answer the question of, if you're in an autonomous practice, is it uh, are you a better risk, quite frankly, than a direct supervision? And and the analysis was just so unwieldy uh, at that point that we kind of backed off because it was we were going out of scope of the of the study. Okay. Well, I so, unfor so unfortunately, we don't have an answer for you. Um, all we have is a little a couple of indicators, um, mm -hmm. like. Yeah, Wendy, we asked a question in, in the study, um, in the survey portion, related to the um, collaboration status. And what we found was um, when we asked at the time of the incident, what, in what capacity were you working, um, you know, 70% of nurse practitioners reported that they were working with collaborative practice agreements, and yet this group saw the uh, uh, less severe uh, claims, though most frequent, the less severe claims. Um, where we did see the most severe claims were for those practitioners working independently. And from a liability perspective, this really wasn't surprising to us um, for uh, when nurse practitioners are working independently, they're going to um, hold 100% of the liability for that claim. So. Um, it makes sense to us that we see more severe claims for those practitioners. Now, the split of frequency, um, really, we, we tie that to uh, the, uh, that's a function of the states that allow collaborative agreements versus um, the fewer states that, that allow nurse practitioners to work independently. Okay. Now, I've asked a number of questions about the format, analytic method, and structure of the study. Can you provide our listeners with a synopsis of your findings related to the closed claim study? And should you, the listener, wish to follow the discussion, please go to www.carsoncoach.net where you can find the slides which typically accompany Ms. Flynn's presentation and you can also download a copy of the study from the CNA NSO website at http www.nso.com forward slash nursing dash resources forward slash claim dash studies 
dot JSP hashtag QI. Okay, Jennifer, give us a quick synopsis. Yes, so um, in summary, uh, where we saw the most frequent allegations were related to failure to, di to diagnose and delay in diagnosis. This would re represented 43% of overall claims against nurse practitioners. Um, Treatment-related allegations and medica medication prescribing allegations were the next most frequent. Um, in terms of injuries, 45% of the claims ended in unexpected death. Um, that is death unrelated to the normal course of illness. So um, we saw these claims, these injuries as the top injuries as well as um, CVA stroke and um, undiagnosed cancer as the um, next most frequent injuries. Um, these claims all tended to not only be the most frequent, but also um, were well above our average payments and so tended to be on the more severe side as well. Um, related to uh, specialty and location, um, we saw the uh, claims were coming from nurse practitioners working in the adult medical primary care and family practice specialties. Um, and as you mentioned, they were working in physician office practices and community-based outpatient clinics. Um, also skilled nursing facilities, they were our top three air, uh, locations. So in terms of um, allegations, injuries, specialty and location, they were the top findings from our report. Um, over the five-year period, we did pay out um, over $44 million um, with each claim resolving um, just above that $221,000 uh, amount. So it gives nurse practitioners an awareness of where we see the claims, um, where we see the injuries, uh, and also the um, amount paid on their behalf to defend and resolve these claims. Okay. David, did you have anything else to add? You know what, I would just add that uh, nurse practitioners are really becoming the, the de facto standard for as the primary care provider in the United States. And, and with that um, really does come increased risk for them um, from a standpoint of malpractice. So it, it is, it's something that we are tracking and seeing, and it's going to continue. So uh, it, it's really something that it's here and now. Okay. Well, before we leave, I want to, first of all, emphasize that we were not able to spend a lot of time on Parts 2 and 3 of the study, and I would like for us to have the opportunity to do so maybe at a later date. Can we spend some time later on discussing the licensure and qualitative study claims maybe during 2014? Of course. We would. Oh, good. Uh, Wonderful. Yes. Okay. And then I would also um, like to reinforce that included in this study are self-assessment tools, practice recommendation, and risk assessment tools. 
which I believe benefit not just the nurse but the overall practice, are useful tools for teaching NPs and other advanced practice nurses about clinical practice. If you don't read the entire report, please go and drill in on the case studies and the self-assessment tools. They are well worth taking your time to learn more about um, what is occurring out there and what are the um, the perceived deficiencies uh, related to advanced practice. Again, I want to thank um, Jennifer and um, uh, for your um, your wonderful wonderful presentation. And I want to thank David for joining her. And uh, I look forward to future um, study and review of the other chapters of the um, 2012 report. Now, next month, we will interview Doug Throckmorton, who is the Deputy Director of Regulatory Programs at the Food and Drug Administration, Office of Medical Products and Tobacco, Center for Evaluation and Research, Office of the Center Director, now that's a mouthful, to discuss FDA regulation of oxycodone and other controlled substances and its impact on advanced practice nursing. And in December, we will have Barbara Safried on to discuss scopes and barriers to practice. As we have indicated in earlier invitations and misses on this talk, please send me your questions for inclusion in the discussion. I've asked the major advanced practice organizations to share with me their questions that they might wish to have asked so we can ensure that we are covering all of the issues of interest to our audience. Again, I thank you for joining us. I look forward to this new season. I want to hear from each and every one of you, and I just want you all to reach out and let me know what you thought about today's programming. If you have questions that you want me to forward to Jennifer and David, I will do so. And, of course, as always, if you share questions with me that I can answer, I am more than available to do so. Thank you, and join us next month for Let's Talk Conversations on Advanced Practice Nurses. Thank you again. Hi. Thank you all.